Hello and welcome to the Susquehanna County Conservation District's Conservation Corner. I'm Don Hibbert. And I'm Devin Voda. And each week we bring you conservation topics and events from around the Endless Mountains. We're back after Christmas break, I guess. Yep. And uh, look forward to talking about eco news this time around. We haven't done that in a while. No, we haven't. So I figured it'd be a perfect time. There's definitely lots of things to talk about as far as nature. And uh, we have a couple of good topics for you today, I think. So why don't you get started? Sure. So my first story here is about a beaver dam. It's actually up in Canada. So it's at uh, Wood Buffalo National Park, which is the largest national park in Canada. It's about the size of Switzerland. It's a pretty big national park. Yeah, that is big. Um, Only one road enters it from Alberta. Um... And the only way that this specific beaver dam has been discovered was through uh, airplanes, helicopters, and, like, satellite imaging. So what's special about this beaver dam is it's the largest beaver dam in the world. How large is it? Well, so this dam is about half a mile long. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. And they've gone over numerous imaging of different beaver dams throughout the world, and it has indeed been deemed the largest one in the world. Okay. Nobody's beat it, so. So what kind of volume of water is behind it? Um, so it does have a good-sized lake behind it. Um, what's kind of interesting about the area, though, is the lake isn't necessarily a lake, really. It's more of just like a super wet spot. In the swamp, um, it does say it's actually just a bunch of different, like, trickles of water coming through that the beavers have just ended up damming up and creating this lake. Um, It's Lake Clare, it's called. But most of the time, there's not even enough water in it to get a boat across it. So it's not a substantial amount of water, but... Okay, so, yeah, depth-wise, not substantial, but... Um, they say how many acres? Uh, so it's about half a mile and has a 17-acre lake behind it. Um, so, yeah, but it's a 17-acre lake. They've known about it for about 16 years, this beaver dam. Um, there was a scientist. He was doing some different research, learning, trying to learn about um, the permafrost uh, thawing out up there in that northern part of Canada. And just looking through Google Earth images was how he was actually able to discover this dam. And when he took the tool and measured it, it was half a mile long. Yeah, that's incredible. Yep. Uh, to be exact, it was 2,790 feet. And it's in an arc formation, so pretty cool. Yeah, I'll have to check it out on Google Earth. Mm-hmm. It's a favorite pastime of mine, just going <laughs> on there and, and looking at different things around the whole globe. So. Yeah, and only one person has ever actually physically gone out and seen this dam okay and he's actually a guy from new jersey um so kind of local from our area Mm -hmm. so when he went out he discovered that the dam was only about three feet deep so it's not even substantially that deep of a dam but it's pretty long (laughs) yeah so just kind of a cool little fact out there yeah definitely um on a local level you know we've talked about woodburn preserve Mm -hmm. and there's quite a substantial beaver dam there so on a local level it's probably one of our biggest ones around in the area but it's cool to hear about other ones and how Mm -hmm. big they can be yeah and they thought this was pretty cool too because um beavers were pretty well eradicated 
like from between the 16th and 20th century with the fur takers and everything. They were reintroduced, but there was none reintroduced to this specific park. So they're thinking that they were so remote that these are beavers ascending from original beaver stock. Okay. Sounds even cooler. It is, yeah. All right, so I have uh, a story. It's more for like snowbirds and uh, the vacationers that go to the southeast shores. Okay. Uh, So USA Today reported not too long ago, back in December, Georgia joins the East Coast states calling on their residents to look out for what's known as the blue land crab. Okay. So apparently these blue land crabs, they really reside in South Florida, um, Central America, you'll find them. They seem to be moving up the East Coast a little bit. And now they're in Georgia, places like South Carolina, North Carolina. Okay. Um, And they excavate a a deep hole. And uh, that's kind of one of the problems associated with these crabs. Uh, the other one is they, they're more inland than the regular shore crabs. Um, so their excavations, you know, tend to endanger certain areas uh, or increase damage in certain areas. They live in the coastal plains, those muddier areas. Okay. Um, anyway, so getting back to the story. Yeah, they, they've called on residents to kind of note uh, the, their movement north. Are they considered like an invasive species then? They are, yeah. Um, Going back to just those excavations that they create, um, you know, in the northern areas, like I said, uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, they're just not prepared for that. There's development Mm -hmm. uh, in those areas and um, they just have to be aware of these new crabs moving in. So I guess the question would be, can you eat these blue land crabs? Because right, that might be a way to get rid of them. Mm-hmm. And you can. Um, okay. Yeah, the, but they're hard to catch. So they, they seem to come out at night. They're not out during the day too often. And they're relatively quick. Are they so, like similar size to other crabs? Similar there? size, yeah. They do have uh, one large claw and one smaller claw. That's um, pretty common, I feel like. Yeah, but... Um, other than that, similar size to the ones that we're familiar with, okay. like the Chesapeake Bay, mm-hmm. which are cooked and eaten. Um, but yeah, so uh, a quick story, mm-hmm. um, but one that I thought would catch the attention of, like I said, snowbirds, those that are, you know, south during the winter, mm-hmm. or vacationers that are hitting the beach during our winter months. Um, be on the lookout for those blue land crabs. And if you catch one, they'll make a tasty snack. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and you might have to question, you know, are they going to move towards Pennsylvania? And probably not. Maybe the Delaware estuary area. Okay. Uh, if we're talking about the Delaware River, um, maybe, you know, around Philly, that, that area. But they have a long way to go before they get there. So you got to overcome Virginia and Delaware, you know. And I'm, I'm not sure as far as the colder weather is concerned, but... Mm-hmm. Um, that might limit them as well. So. Well, that's a slight positive then. Yep. Okay, so my second story here, while we're along the terms of invasive species, um, there's a newer one that kind of really sparked interest in social media because of, it's kind of funny looking, uh, the hammerhead worms. Um, so they are considered an invasive species of flatworm. 
and they're pretty cool because they take down prey by neurotoxin, a lot like a puffer fish would. Okay, um, so like a poison. Yes. It feeds on invasive earthworms though, so might be a slight positive to it as well. They were originally transplants from East Asia, as most invasive species seem to. Um, they were brought to the Chesapeake Bay area. Um, they've been here for decades, so if you haven't really seen them, probably a good thing. Um, they did note that since they really haven't seemed to cause too much problem, uh, and they've been here for so long, they're probably not as terrible as we're thinking. When you say where, what, what like what type of range do they have? Or? Um, so it's more prevalent in the southeastern part of the U.S. Uh, they are drawing northward as the climate's warming up, but they, I don't think they're quite even as far as uh, Virginia yet, but so they're more southern like these crabs that you were talking about. But if you're looking for them in your gardens or anything like that, they are flat and squishy, is how they were described. Uh, the head on them is shaped like a half moon or a crescent, so if you're kind of thinking like a hammerhead shark, similar head like that. Um, they are extreme, they can be extremely long, uh, about a foot long. That is long. For a worm, that's crazy. Yeah. Um, they tend to be a tan or yellowish brown, and they have five neatly spaced dark stripes running along the entirety of its body. So they, like I said, they do subdue earthworms with a neurotoxin. It's similar to ones found in blue-ringed octopuses, newts, and pufferfish. Um, so if you do find them, it's a good idea to probably put gloves on uh, to, if you're going to handle them, get them out of the way, because they could cause a rash. Um, they do not have the capability of injecting venom, um, so it's more of they just kind of like touch their prey and that's how they subdue them. Like I said though, from kind of a biologist's perspective, they don't seem to be too bad. Um, they actually, one of their favorite snacks is the invasive jumping worm, so that might be a good thing. There you go, put them in a ring together. <laughs> so they might be acting kind of like a biological control. So while they are invasive, not necessarily terrible. Um, they are concerned that if they do kind of start moving upward, um, there are specific species within that hammerhead flatworm that do eat snails and slugs as well. Um, so we just kind of have to be aware of that. But otherwise, they're not too bad for us. Hmm. I guess it makes me wonder, you know, if a bird was to consume it. Right. Would the bird be poisoned? I'm yeah. sure there'd probably be some form of an effect on them. Um, they're trying to look into them more, but they really haven't gotten anybody to kind of jump on helping support the research because they aren't super terrible, uh, uh -huh. even though they're an invasive, so they're having a hard time getting funding for research on them. Okay, I'm sure we'll talk about that one more mm -hmm. in the, the weeks and months to come. Yeah. You can find it on social media, I guess, all over, because it's a funny-looking worm. Yeah, I have seen the pictures of it, and it's definitely odd. Mm -hmm. so. All right, well, I'm going to stick with arthropods. Uh, this time I'm talking about ticks, and we talked about ticks a while back. Mm -hmm. We covered, oh, there's like a four-part series, I yep. think. Um, but ticks are making the news, and it's because Pennsylvania ends up, and this is unfortunate, it's not something to be proud of, we lead the nation. 
um, but unfortunately we lead the nation in Lyme disease cases. That's crazy. So yeah, I'll get to the actual numbers here in a minute. We'll try to set the stage. So the news story is actually about, again, PA leading the nation for Lyme disease cases, but they wanted to mention why. Uh, and they think it's because of our development in forests. Um, so that fragmentation, when you have development move in, whether it be pipelines or whether it's new businesses or residential communities, mm -hmm. it takes away from the forest community. So they mentioned that back in 2019, Pennsylvania had, well, you want to guess how many, how many forested acres we had back in 2019? Probably a good amount. I don't know if I could even... It's in the millions, say okay. teens. Say like 14? Yeah, that's close. Uh, we had 16.6 million acres of forested land, which okay. sounds like a huge amount, and mm -hmm. it is. But actually, 2014, we had 16.9 million. So wow. it's gone down. Um, nearly half of the loss, they say, was due to residential and commercial development. So let's talk about um, what I mentioned at the beginning, PA having the highest rate of Lyme disease. They actually mentioned that it's been that way for 11 of the past 12 years. Wow. So we've led the nation for that long. That's crazy. That's sad, really. Uh, they mentioned that in 2022, Pennsylvania reported 8,413 confirmed Lyme disease cases. Wow. So, uh, and nearby states are semi-close. Um, New Jersey had 5,900. New York is quite a bit lower, surprisingly, with 2,018 cases. We're way ahead of them. We, we sure are. Going back to the forest fragmentation, so Lyme disease, as we talked about, um, needs some other animals, right, right. To, to go through the cycle. One of them being mice. Uh, we talked about chipmunks, birds being hosts. Mm -hmm. And they're really habitat generalists. They live right. in that fragmented forest where it's like the edges. It goes from forest to, you know, field or brushy areas, mm -hmm. which is the reason why, you know, we have so much Lyme disease because uh, those hosts are living in that area and then our yards are right next to it. Mm -hmm. So, and that leads me to my last point, which they mentioned that, 50% of the tick bites in Pennsylvania occur where? Where do you think? Probably just right in our yards. Exactly, in our backyards. So that's kind of the edge habitat. Mm -hmm. And uh, unfortunately, we really can't do much about it at this point other than preserve our forests, mm -hmm. uh, reduce that fragmentation or development in those biggest forest tracts of land. Uh, take the precautions, you know, spray what you need to spray. That's up to you. But other than that, you know, it's just um, avoiding planting those invasives like Japanese barberry, uh, which increase the likelihood of ticks in our backyard. Mm -hmm. But yeah, so it's uh, one of those stats that are kind of um, on the sad side for the state. But um, just wanted to let everybody know. And the other thing is, I guess, I'm not sure whether they had this in the story or not, but when we have these warm winters like this, right. ticks are still out. Mm -hmm. You know, they're not hiding. They're looking for a host. So yep. um, be aware of that as well. 
definitely take your precautions, do your tick checks, yep. everything like that. All right. I guess that does it for today's show then. If you have questions related to our shows, you can contact the Conservation District by calling 570-782-2105. If you missed a portion of today's show, you can go to our website, www.suscondistrict.org, and find our Conservation Corner page with past episodes and links to information about past episodes. You've been listening to the Susquehanna County Conservation District's Conservation Corner. I'm Devin Voda. And I'm Don Hibbard saying, enjoy the outdoors.